Good morning, welcome, welcome to worship. I'm Jim, I serve as a pastor here at Schweitzer, and it is a joy, it is good to be with you wherever you're at today. We're glad that you're here. We want you to know that we've been praying for you in this experience, seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit and expecting God to meet with us. Today, we continue on our sermon series on Abraham. It's called Abraham, Faith and Fear, as we explore the life of Abraham, a man, a person, of real faith, inspiring faith, but also a person who experienced real fear. God has something for all of us, a real message through the life of Abraham. Today, we're also looking forward to offering eight new classes, eight new virtual online classes that will be starting over the next couple of weeks, this week and next. They're available at the website, sumc.co, also on the Church Center app. You can join them. There are Old Testament classes, New Testament, parent, and so much more. This is the time to jump in, engage, and join a class. This morning, we also invite you to chat. There's a feature on your screen and join in and talk with others. Also, if you have a prayer request, you can give us that request. We would love to pray with you. It's gonna be a great morning this first Sunday in May. So let's worship the God together. Let's praise God. Never before Oh my 
come to this time of prayer together today, we remember that a key component of our prayer life with God is listening. Today I'm going to read a scripture three times with space in between, where we give the Holy Spirit a space to speak to us over these words of life and hope and a future. Also, I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to light this candle to invite Christ's presence into our midst, and I invite you at home as well to light a candle. You can follow along in the scripture with me. I'm, in, I'm going to read from John chapter 8, verse 12. And so I invite you to hear these words. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Hear these words again, and let the Holy Spirit speak. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Holy God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world and being with us and showing us the way and the truth and the life, coming in power and humility, coming in light and giving hope, hope now and hope eternal. Lord, we follow you. Thank you for choosing us and that you live and are working still in our lives and world. You are our light and our source for everything. We open ourselves to you, your goodness and mercy and grace and promises. 
Come, Holy Spirit, lead and guide this church and our lives. And now let's pray together. The Lord's Prayer is led by members of our congregation. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Amen, and thank you for that. And now as we come to this time of offering, it's uh, our opportunity to respond to God's generosity. God is so generous in our life. God gives and gives and gives. We appreciate your tithes and offerings that coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit make so many, many ministries happen around here. God blessing people through your gifts and again, the power of the Holy Spirit. For example, just this, uh, this week and in recent weeks, we've renovated the kids' ministry. We've put in new floors and painted. Ministry goes on. And again, your gifts matter. Thank you. God bless you.
that sealed the promise Your buried body began to breathe Out of the silence The roaring lion Declared the grave has no claim on me Then came the morning That sealed the promise Your buried body Began to breathe Out of the silence The roaring lion Declared the grave Has no claim on me Oh, Jesus, yours Each week this year, we've been telling stories, stories of people connected to Schweitzer, stories of how God is moving and transforming in their life. And today we're gonna to hear from Miss Molly, who's one of our preschool teachers here, who is, uh, who's extraordinary. We appreciate all she does for the kids and the community. Let's hear from Molly. I've been here since um, December 6th of 2011 and I came here because the preschool I was working at closed and so I was just asking the Lord where he wanted me next and um, when I came here to interview it was with Kayla Grossheart and she interviewed me and then took me around the, the preschool and um, I just thought well she's given me a tour you know and so then when we came back to the office, she told me when to show up for work, and I thought, wow, I'm hired, you know? And I hadn't even had time to really pray it through, so. My focus here has been to reach children, reach families for the Lord, and so. Um, prayer is one of the greatest things that any, anybody can put their time into is prayer. Um, like in the morning, I'll get up in the morning, I'll say, Lord, what is the prayer focus for today? What are you? Um, want me to focus on and so like for instance when I pray uh, the love of God how how great it, it is how it how wide how long how high then I begin to pray for 
the people on my prayer list, Lord, help them to realize how great, how high, how long, and how wide is your love for them. There's a verse that says he can do immeasurably, abundantly, above all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's working in us. And so when we're praying according to his word, his word is powerful. Um, we're getting the most power into our troubled situations, whatever they may be. God is not um, wondering what to do in this very bad situation. He's saying, I've got a plan. You just come along and get on, take my hand, and I'll carry you through this. And it, it won't, like I was just telling Miss um, Jane and Miss Crystal a while ago about this coronavirus, I'm not praying this away. I'm praying, Lord, accomplish your will through this, whatever you want, because I don't believe anything comes to us when you're a child of God that is not according to His perfect will for you. And He answers in ways we don't necessarily always like. But um, I would say just put your hand in the Lord's, keep um, praying His Word, um, and quit praying, My will be done and uh, My kingdom come, and start praying, Thy will be done and thy kingdom come. And then he can do, he can carry you places that you could never go on your own. My name is Molly Hatley, and this is just the beginning of my story. Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor. Today is part seven of a series we're on called Faith and Fear. We're spending some time studying one of the most important people in all of history, and that's Abraham. And what makes Abraham so interesting is that he is one of the heroes of faith in the Bible, and yet at the same time is somebody who struggles with fear. And so we're looking at him to, to see what this life of faith looks like. Instead of living by fear, how do we, how do we uh, live by faith? And so as we've looked at Abraham's life, we've, we've learned some things about what faith is. Faith, faith is not just that we believe in God, nor is faith that we believe certain things about God. When we look at Abraham and his life, what we're learning is that, is that faith is really about the real life that we live. It's about the real choices we make. Faith is, is, the, is the decision to trust God when there's all kinds of reasons not to. And so how do we become those kinds of people who live by faith and not by fear? Now, if you haven't been with us uh, for the last several weeks, I want to catch you up on the story of Abraham because his, his story continues and it's, it's good to know the, the trajectory of his story. So we first meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 12, um, God speaks to Abraham and calls Abraham and gives him a promise. And the promise of Abraham goes like this. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless uh, those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham uh, receives this promise from God. He's 75 years old when he hears this promise that he's gonna be a blessing to the entire world and that a nation is gonna come from him. And of course, ultimately this, this blessing is fulfilled through his descendant named Jesus. Uh, but the catch is that Abraham, he's 75 years old and he receives this call. His wife is about the same age, Sarah, and uh, they're childless. And so how do you become a great nation if you don't have any descendants? So Abraham and Sarah are, are left with this dilemma of on one hand, they've got this promise of God. On the other hand, they have the reality of their situation that they don't have any children and, and they know that people their age don't have children. And so they're left scratching their heads and how is God gonna do this? And, and they struggle then for the next 25 years with this promise that God has given them that they are gonna be a great nation. They wait for 25 years for God to come through. And finally in God's timing, in the right timing, because it's God's timing, God comes through 
and, and a baby is born. They name him Isaac. And this is the miracle of, of what we read last week, the miraculous birth of Isaac. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to pick up right where we left off, the very next verse. And we're going we're gonna to keep reading here. We're going to read a story where Abraham is not at his best. But, uh, but at the same time, we're going to see something in, in what we're going to read here, Genesis 21, of, of a vital lesson that, that you have to learn if you're going to be somebody who lives uh, by faith and not by fear. So Genesis chapter 21, we're going to start reading in verse 8, the very next verse from what we read last week. Uh, this is what we read. It says, The child, that is, that is Isaac, the child, grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast, which is a common thing to celebrate that a child had lived through the first few years of life. And so um, verse 9 says, But Sarah, that, that's Abraham's, Abraham's uh, wife, the, the mother of Isaac, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. Now, now we need to know some history here because sometimes the choices you made yesterday have a way of catching up with you today. Uh, we first met Hagar the Egyptian in Genesis 16. It's probably about a month ago that we read her story in Genesis 16. And, and Hagar the Egyptian, she is a slave to Sarah and Abraham. And uh, in Genesis 16, we read one of the stories that is just really, in my opinion, one of the most disappointing times of Abraham's life uh, and, and how he responds. Because in Genesis 16, what happens is, is that um, Abraham and Sarah, they have this promise that they're going to have a descendants and, and children, and they're, they're left waiting. And so they take matters in their own hands. And Sarah gives Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave, to Abraham to be his wife. And so now Abraham has two wives, which to us is, is very strange on so many levels, but to them would have been a somewhat common practice because it was, it was a fairly common practice in that day, 4,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, for wealthy women like Sarah to take their slaves and to give them to their husbands. And, and what would happen with, with the offspring that would be born is that those children would be counted as um, the, the wealthy woman's children. It would have been Sarah's children. So any children that Hagar had would have been given and accounted as, as Sarah's child. Very strange thing to, to do, but, but what we see in Genesis 16 and, and in that episode is just dysfunction all over the place. And the dysfunction that we see in that family, it just, it just snowballs. Because what we read is that when Hagar uh, gets pregnant, Sarah, for whatever reason, begins to abuse Hagar. And Abraham sees this abuse taking place and, and he, he uh, does nothing about it, doesn't intervene at all, doesn't handle the conflict, just doesn't do anything at all. And, and so Hagar runs away. She's got this baby that's been born. His name is Ishmael. This baby that's been born, and they, she runs away. And, and again, Abraham just does nothing, nothing at all, no leadership whatsoever. So the Lord reaches out, and he, he calls to Hagar, and he, he sends her back home to provide for her that, that this child, this, this child of Abraham, that, that he should go back home, that Hagar should go back home. And, and, and for, for 13 years, this this dysfunction has just, has just been building. It's just been building because it was never dealt with. And, and what we noticed back then about a month ago when we read Genesis 16 is that what we see in that, in that dysfunction is, is really what happens when you begin to live in fear and make choices based in fear. Not, not to mean that you give your spouse a slave, but, but I mean that you, you begin to put yourself first, which is really what happens with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar is that Abraham and Sarah, they begin to put themselves first. They, they treat her as an object. She's just a means to an end. They put themselves first. They're only caring about themselves because when you're afraid, that's what you do is you take care of yourself first. And so they're only caring about themselves. And, 
And so in the, in the midst of that, they, they mistreat her. They, they don't care about her. They don't take care of her at all. And, and this is the dysfunction that builds. And, and this is what happens when you begin to live in fear. And so 13 years, the dysfunction has not been dealt with. There is now a second baby. His name is Isaac. He's been weaned. And on the day that he's been weaned, this great festival, this great feast is taking place. And uh, Hagar's son, Ishmael, is mocking him. And here's what happens in verse 10. So Sarah, she said, verse 10, said, she said, Sarah said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman. And then listen to these words here. And her son, small detail here. It's actually Abraham's son as well. Small detail. Uh, she goes on and says, for that, again, woman's son, again, also Abraham's son, will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. And I want you to catch that word there, inheritance. This isn't really about mocking. This is really about money. You see, in that day and age, all the inheritance of an estate would go to one person, the oldest son. In this case, it's Ishmael, not Isaac. And so Ishmael stands to inherit everything that is. And Sarah, on the day that Isaac is being weaned, she sees Ishmael, she sees a threat to her. She sees, she sees Hagar and she sees Hagar in, in a light that she understands that, that Hagar is, is, is after the money. She sees Hagar and what she sees is that Hagar is a, is a gold digger because Abraham is old, he's rich, he's about to, he can't make it much longer. And uh, here's the son of Hagar, not of Sarah, who's gonna receive everything. And, and, and Sarah assumes the worst because that's what you do when you live in fear is you assume the worst of people. You never give anyone the benefit of the doubt when you're just concerned about yourself and living in fear. And so she doesn't give Hagar the benefit of the doubt. And she says, you gotta get rid of her because, because what's at stake here is the inheritance. We keep reading here, verse 11. It says, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Actually, Abraham, it concerns both your sons, but you know what? You haven't led yet, so why start now? Uh, verse 12, but God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Let me say that differently. It's through Isaac that your name will continue. It's, uh, it's through Isaac that the promise is going to be fulfilled. It's through Isaac that I'm gonna raise up uh, for, for my purpose here. And I just want you to re realize what's taking place is that what the Lord is doing is, is he is elevating Isaac above what his culture would have. He's elevating Isaac to receive the inheritance that is Abraham's. He's elevating Isaac to, to live into the promise and the blessing that should be Ishmael's. He's, he's elevating Isaac for, for God's own purpose. So keep reading here. Verse 13, God says, though, I will make the son of the slave, woman, the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. So I'm going to take care of Ishmael as well. But, but Isaac, Isaac is the one that I'm choosing for my purpose here. Verse 14, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulder and they sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. And when the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. And notice the language here is, is also the same about Genesis 12, the promise, a great nation. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and the, gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up and he lived in the desert and became an archer. And, and Ishmael, of course, will become a father of a nation as well. 
that God takes care of them, that, that in the midst of all of this dysfunction, uh, God still provides for Hagar and Ishmael. And, and, and I want you to notice that, that in the midst of all of the dysfunction that this fam- of this family, um, God's purposes, God's purposes still go forward. God's purposes don't fail. In the midst of all of the harm that's being done, in the midst of all the dysfunction, in the midst of all the selfishness, in the midst of all the fear, God's purposes are still, are still being followed, are still going to happen. And, and really what you see in these, I don't know, 12 verses that we just read is this is a, this is a bit of a linchpin moment in the Bible. Because in these 12 verses that we just read, we, we see God doing something that is going to impact the rest of the scripture. Because what you see very simply is, is this, that in these 12 verses, what we see is that, that God um, is choosing Isaac. God chooses Isaac. This is, this is what we read here. He elevates Isaac above where he should have been. He, he chooses Isaac that Isaac is going to be the one who, who uh, will be fulfilling the promise. And so therefore, it's through Isaac that the great nation, the people of Israel will come. It's through Isaac that people like Moses and David and Esther and Ruth will come. It's through Isaac that Abraham's descendant, Jesus, the Savior of the world will come. It's through Isaac that the promise is going to be fulfilled. And, and, and of course, whenever you start talking about God choosing Isaac, I, I think there's a like a natural question that comes up, at least for me, maybe for you as well, because when I, when I think about how God is choosing Isaac, I have to ask myself, well, why? <laughs> why him? Why Isaac? Why does God choose Isaac? What does Isaac bring to the table that God chooses Isaac for his purpose? What, what is, what's so special about Isaac that Isaac is the one that God reaches out to and, and, and he's the one who's going to be the fulfillment of the promise? Why, why Isaac? And, and for that matter, you could ask the same question about Abraham. Out of everyone on earth, why did God reach out to Abraham with this blessing of a great nation and that he's going to bless the whole world? Why, why Abraham? What was so special about Abraham? Or, or you could ask the same question about a generation after Isaac, Jacob. Why Jacob and not Esau? Why does God elevate Jacob? Especially when you think about how Jacob is not like a morally upright person. He's, he's a liar and he's deceptive and, and he's not a stand-up guy. So why Jacob? Or, or why does Joseph be elevated above his brothers? Why, why, why does this happen? And of course, as you start talking about this, this thing of God choosing people, it raises all kinds of difficult questions. And theologians write books about these questions. And, and, and they write all kinds of questions about how God is choosing someone. Does that mean God's specifically not choosing someone else? You could chase that rabbit trail. Or, or a lot of times you start talking about God choosing the question of free will comes up. So if God chooses Isaac, does, does Isaac have a choice in the matter of, of how he's going to live in the future? And, and, and all kinds of questions come up and theologians write books about. And we could chase those rabbit trails for hours if we wanted to. But, but honestly, between you and me, I, I don't think those rabbit trails um, are, are all that interesting. What's far more interesting to me is that when I think about the writers of the New Testament and this language of choosing that God has, what's far more interesting to me is that the writers of the New Testament describe you in the same way they describe Isaac or Jacob or Abraham. The writers of the New Testament have this this consistent um, idea that God chooses you just as God chooses them. For instance, let me give you some examples of this. Um, This is John chapter 15, Jesus speaking. And Jesus said to his disciples, I think he says it to us as well, he said, you did not choose me, but I choose you. Or here's another one, Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul, he says, for he, that 
for he chose us, listen to this, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Or how about this, 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Or Colossians 3, again, Paul says, therefore, as God's, listen to this, chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Or here's another one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Or one of my favorites, uh, Revelation chapter 17, speaking about this great battle between evil and God, um, we read this, that, that they will wage war against the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus, but the Lamb will triumph over them. I love that. He will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be His called, listen, chosen and faithful followers. And I could go on with more examples about this, but I think you get the idea that when the New Testament describes you, This is how the New Testament talks about you, that you are chosen by God. Now, now of course, I I would say that because of Jesus, God is choosing everyone. This is the whole point of God sending his son, that when God sent his son, what he is doing in that is, is he is choosing us. He is choosing to save us. He's choosing to love us. He's choosing to reach out to us. He's, he is choosing us. There, there is this truth here that might sound simple on the surface, that God chooses you. But I'm telling you, this truth, this truth is something that is vital if you're gonna be somebody who lives by faith and not by fear because this truth that God chooses you is a truth that you can rely on in the hardest times of your life. Let me explain that. And and to explain that, um, let me tell you about the first time I went surfing. I was in Southern California with some friends and the group wanted to go surfing that day. And between you and me, I'm like more than just a little bit afraid of the ocean. I, I love the beach. I don't love the ocean as much. There's so many things in the ocean that can hurt me, but you know, I'm not gonna tell my friends that. So I say, okay, let's go. And so we go and we, we rent some surfboards and, and the guy is giving us like a 90 second lesson about how to surf. And he's like, you know, lay down on the board, paddle out there. You're gonna stand up when a wave comes and you're gonna catch it and you're gonna ride it in. And I'm like listening to the instructions, okay? And I'm like, okay, thinking through this. And I, I just like, okay, say everything again slower and with more detail again, because I, I want to know how to do this. And let's talk about sharks this time, because as my feet dangle over the board, I want to know about that, because I'm afraid of the ocean. So we get our boards and we, we paddle out there. And, and that day, and I don't know how it is normally, but that day there's, there's cycles of waves, right? Waves are coming all the time, there's, but there's cycles of them. There'd be sm- cycles of like smaller waves. And then you would see in the distance, the bigger waves that are coming. And, and you'd see these bigger waves coming and, and you start to, to see those and then you get ready. And, and so you get your board positioned to face this, the, the beach and you start to paddle and you can feel the surge and, and, and you stand up. And I thought the hardest part about surfing would be to catch that wave that energy, that wave, and then to stand up and balance, but it wasn't. I was like, I, I did it right off the bat. I was so proud of myself. And I got up and I, and I realized as I was, as I was uh, riding this wave into the, into the beach, I realized that in my 90 second lesson about how to surf, they, they never said how to, how to stop. And I'm seeing the beach coming at me and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I mean, I don't want to eat sand today. So, so I jump off, I, I bail and I'm in like waist deep water. And I, and I had forgotten to myself that the waves were coming in cycles. It wasn't just like there was all small waves or all big waves. It was like, and I caught the first of the big waves. And so I, I jump off and I'm all proud of myself, chest, puff my chest out a little bit because I just did this new thing. And, and all of a sudden, I, you know, the next big wave, it just comes and pounds me, uh, it pounds me down. And, and I just, you know, go to the bottom and I'm scraping my, my face on the sand at this point. And I stand back up and grasp me for air and another big wave comes. And, and slowly, like, you know, I pull myself uh, up to the shore and I, and I realize to myself, oh, I didn't spring for that $10 cord that attaches my ankle to the board. And and I see my ankle or my, I see my board um, 
floating out to sea, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I paid for that with a deposit with my credit card. Like, I don't want to buy a surfboard today, so I got like, to go get it. And I, I see the board, it's floating out there, and, and I'm, I start to swim against all these waves, and, and they're coming in cycles. Some of them are small, some of them are big, and, but it's just like, it's just wave after wave, and, and I, you know, go out there, and, I, and there's big waves, some of them, and, and I start to swim and, and trying to get my board, and it's just, you know, wave after wave after wave, and I, I see where I want to go. Like, I see the surfboard. It's floating right there. It's not very far away. I just, I want to get to that. That's my destination where I'm trying to get to, and there's just like wave after wave after wave that's coming, and I'm swimming against them, and it's, and it's hitting me, and I'm knocking me down, and I'm swimming, and I'm swimming, and I'm just, I'm just exhausted, and I wonder if that sounds a little bit familiar to you. Because I, I find that sometimes in life, um, I go through seasons where I have wave after wave after wave coming against me. Now, sometimes it's small things. You know, it's small criticisms or small disappointments or small things that don't just work out the way that I want them to. But, but with enough of those small things, it's still exhausting. Or, or sometimes it's big things. It's big waves. It's, it's the big waves of relationships falling apart. It's the big waves of, of someone I love being sick. It's the big waves of, of two months of stay-at-home coronavirus and watching anxious-filled news night after night after night. But I, I find that sometimes I, I'm, I live through seasons where it's like wave after wave after wave is coming against me, and I, and I just find myself exhausted. And I, and I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. So I'm swimming out to the, get my surfboard. It's floating. I know where I want to get to. I'm swimming against these waves. I'm so tired. I finally get to the board. And, and, I, and I think to myself, you know, I've swam out now twice against these waves. And the first time I swam out, I wasn't tired at all. And, and the reason I wasn't tired was, was because I wasn't swimming on my own. I, I, was, I was on top of this, this board and and this board went the same amount of waves, the same height of waves, the same frequency of waves. This board was able to just take me and go over each one of them. I didn't have to spend all of my energy fighting all the waves because I had this thing that I could rest on, this thing that supported me, this thing that, that I could rely on. And so I could go over all of these waves and not spend all of my energy being exhausted like I had to be the second time. You see, this is why this truth that God chooses you is so important, because this is a truth that is reliable. It is the truth that God would do anything to be with you. It is the truth that God sent his own son to die a vicious death because he wants relationship with you. It's, it's the truth that, that God is with you in all circumstances. It is the truth that God's love is reliable. It is certain. It is sure. It is the truth that you can rest on no matter what waves might come against you, no matter how big they might be or how frequent they might come. It is a truth that you can rest on. Let me show you this in action. And let's go to Romans chapter eight. This is a, a few verses written by Paul. And this is the, the idea that there is, there is this reliable truth of God's love towards you that you can rest on and rely on. And that, and that if you're gonna live by faith is something that is, is true for you. So Romans um, chapter eight, this is what we read starting in verse 31. Paul writes, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What should we say in response to all of the waves that come against us over and over and over again? Well, here's what we should say. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has, listen to this word, chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I want you to catch that. Jesus is praying for you specifically. We keep reading. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or put anything else on that list that you want to? Should furloughs or layoffs, should financial problems or sickness, should, should quarantines, stay-at-homes, whatever you want to put on there, put, put anything you want to put on that list, should those things separate us from the love of, love of God that's in Christ? Well, we skip to verse 37. He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here is a simple truth that if you take this and you accept this and you receive this, this is a simple truth that you can rely on, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that God calls you his own son, his own daughter, that God claims you and wants to relationship with you and that in all things, he is with you. This is a simple truth that as you claim this, you no longer have to ride those waves on your own strength, but rather you have a reliable, sure thing that you can rest on. The truth that God loves you and has chosen you for him and his purposes. Let's pray together. And so Lord, this morning, uh, like Isaac, we want to claim this truth that we are chosen by you. For no rhyme or reason, for nothing that we bring to the table, for nothing that we've done or could have done or should have done, this is just what you want for us. And so sometimes we go through seasons of life where it just feels like it's wave after wave after wave and we're just swimming against all of these things that are coming against us. But, but we want to claim this truth this truth that, that will give us strength to ride over the waves, this truth that we are chosen, that we are your children, that we can rest in this confidence of who you are and what you do for us. And so God, today, we wanna, we wanna come to this. For anyone who's watching today who is just exhausted, may today be a day where they reclaim this truth. Maybe it's reclaiming it for the first, or claiming, reclaiming it after being away for a while, maybe it's claiming it for the first time that they've, they've never claimed this for themselves, that, that they are loved by you that you would do anything for them and with them, that, that you would send your own son to die a vicious death, that, that they might have life in you, would be today be a time where they can put their faith in you with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin and lead my life. So God, I thank you that you choose us, that you want us, that you love us, and that we can rest in this truth no matter what it is that we face. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.
been so good to share this time with you today. If this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share the link of this service with your friends, your family. You can do that by texting the link or, or just share it on Facebook. It's a great opportunity for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others and what God is doing in our lives. Uh, next Sunday, we will still be online. We'll be online for the foreseeable future. So we'll see you next Sunday at 9.02 a.m.